Welcome to Sundays with Montrose Bible Church. We're glad you tuned in as Pastor Matt leads us in a study of God's Word. This morning we continue our sermon series from the book of Matthew. Now that Jesus has prepared his disciples for his departure and the judgment that is coming to Jerusalem soon after. That's what he described in his most famous Olivet Discourse, the end of the Jewish age in the year A.D. 70. Using the language of the prophets, Christ painted picture of the severity, the brutality, the bleakness of the destruction that God had in store telling his first century Jewish followers that what awaits will be so oppressive and so complete it will be as though the sky is falling down around them because Israel has taken her stand against the Lord's anointed turn with me if you will to Matthew chapter 26 and follow along as we read God's word together beginning in verse 1 Matthew 26, verse 1. When Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume. She poured it on his head and he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, What this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out thirty pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, at first glance, it may appear as though these three scenes are entirely disconnected with different voices, different settings, and different assessments being made. But Matthew includes all three together in this way because there is a common thread that weaves throughout them lies in the question of Jesus' worth. It would seem as though these various characters 
had a much different assessment of the value that Jesus held. And so, what we have before us will cause us to ask that very question for ourselves. What is Jesus worth to you? We see it from a various perspectives here this morning, beginning with the perspective of the religious leaders. For them, Jesus was worth killing at almost any cost. We'll take a look back at verse 1. When Jesus had finished all these words about the destruction of the Jewish temple, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. After reading Jesus' words about the destruction in 70 AD, Matthew reminds us about a situation that is far more imminent. That is, the crucifixion of Christ during the week of Passover. Well, just in case we lost sight of that situation, we are told how the chief priests and the elders of the people were still conspiring against him, plotting and planning to put him to death. And that might seem to us a bit extreme. And yet, for reasons, the reasons for their antagonism were many. After all, this nobody carpenter was claiming to be the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. He was causing unrest in their holy temple. He publicly scorned the religious leadership. And the crowds that he spoke to, well, they always seemed much larger than those who had gathered to hear their priests. Add to that his most recent prophetic declaration about the destruction of all Jerusalem, and we can see why these zealots were so upset. Yeah, but murder? Were these men actually willing to become murderers to be rid of Christ? Yeah. And they were willing to violate a lot of other moral and Levitical law as well. Like bearing false witness, which they would about to evoke. Christ was so hated, they were willing to overlook that fundamental thousand-year-old command. They were also willing to break their own law in regard to the timing of such events. According to the Mishnah, uh, since capital cases might continue for two days, the court does not judge cases of capital law on certain days, neither on the eve of Shabbat nor the eve of a festival. Well, each of Jesus' trials took place during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was to them unthinkable. Well, not only that, they were willing to offer and accept bribes to falsify a verdict 
A thing that was forbidden all throughout Scripture, including Deuteronomy chapter 16, where Moses said, You shall not distort justice. You shall not be partial and you shall not take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall pursue. Well, as if all of that were not enough. They also harbored hatred and resentment for a fellow Jew. Something that they were warned against any number of times in the Torah. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. They're told in Leviticus chapter 19 verse 17. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. These men were so desperate. They were so vehement. They were so anti-Christ that they were willing to do just about anything to cast him away and silence his voice. And their plan would have progressed even quicker had it not been for the common everyday people who were at this point still quite enthralled with Christ and his gospel truth. Turns out, though the leaders desperately wanted to be done with this fanatical Nazarene, they were very aware of popular opinion saying, we mustn't do anything rash during the festival. Otherwise, there might be a riot among the people. Here's, that was the only thing that provided any kind of restraint. I mean, the text should read, they decided not to go through with it because it was murder. The text should read, they stopped short because they recognized the error of their ways. The text could and should read, they considered the thought for a moment, but quickly gave it up because it violated their conscience, their sense of morality, and their value for human life. That's what the text could and should read, but no. No, they so hated the Lord Jesus, they were willing to cross each and every one of those lines. Only the thought of losing the approval of the masses caused them to wait another 48 hours. Truly, that was their only reasoning. They didn't want people to dislike them. Proving themselves the greatest man-pleasers the world has ever known. Willing to lie, willing to cheat, willing to murder, but not to be less liked. Because for them, though Jesus was worth killing, he wasn't worth their loss of reputation. Do you see? From the perspective of the religious leaders, Jesus was worth killing at almost 
any cost. Yeah, but from the perspective of a woman in Bethany, Jesus was worth the very best that she had. Well, take a look at verse 6 now. When Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Now, it does not shock us to see Jesus sharing a meal with friends in Bethany. After all, this was his home away from home, so to speak. The place he and his disciples retreated to every night of Passover week celebration. Typically, we read of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus as Jesus' hosts. But on this occasion, they gathered in the home of a man named Simon. Now, we do not know much about this man other than the fact that he had been healed from leprosy sometime earlier and had been restored to fellowship within the community. It's possible that this is the man that Jesus himself had healed of that condition at the outset of his public ministry. But of that, we cannot be entirely sure. Either way, here is Christ reclining at the table with Simon and the others, and in walks this unnamed woman. Now, culturally speaking, she should not have interrupted the men while they were talking. In fact, only when invited to do so would women have allowed to listen in. But cultural barriers were not going to keep her from expressing her love and commitment. So, in she comes. Carrying an alabaster vial of very expensive perfume. Just how costly was it exactly? Well, in Mark's parallel account, the disciples reveal the monetary value of that oil. It was approximately 300 denarii's worth, or roughly one year's worth of wages. It would have been, without a doubt, her most prized possession in all of the world. A family heirloom, most likely, passed down from mother to daughter over the course of multiple generations. And she breaks the vial at the neck and pours it all out on the head of Jesus. Because to her, Christ was more than worth it. Can you even remember a time, friends, when you gave so much of yourself because of your esteem for Christ? I mean, typically we give out of Guilt we give out of obligation, we give perhaps out of obedience. But when do you and I give out of gratitude, out of devotion, out of loyalty and love? Nobody told this woman to anoint Christ that evening. Nobody held her to that expectation or pressured her into using up her perfume. 
Now she gave extravagantly and abundantly because in her mind, complete sacrifice is the only adequate expression for a life which has been redeemed. My hope is that as we consider this text and reflect upon our lives, we will come to agree with her assessment. Yeah? From the perspective of the religious leaders, Jesus was worth killing at almost any cost. From the perspective of this woman in Bethany, Jesus was worth the very best that she had. And from the perspective of the disciples, however, Jesus was worth a more practical price. Matthew tells us in verse 8 that the disciples were indignant when they saw this anointing. They said, why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. Now, immediately upon seeing this woman honoring and revering Jesus, the disciples start criticizing her and scolding her sharply. That's what the word aganateo means, to anger against with incredible fury. And why are they so upset? Because in their mind, her valuable perfume had just been wasted. Wasted on a frivolous, sentimental act of worship. When it could have been given to the poor. You see, on the eve of the Passover, Jewish custom dictated the giving of alms to those less fortunate. Oh, being only a day or two away, that tradition must have been very much on their minds. And they would have felt the burden of that responsibility. Surely it would have been a whole lot easier to manage that situation with a little extra cash in the coffer. And so there's an, an objection of practicality. Because the 30 or so grand... Well, that feeds a lot of people. And now it's just dripping from Jesus onto the floor. I can't believe you would do something so irrational and so imprudent. What in the world are you thinking? Of course, the disciples are not only demeaning the woman by attacking her gift. They're also demeaning Jesus himself, suggesting that his honor and exaltation are nothing but a waste. Surely the gift should have been tempered. It should have been restrained. It should have been a little less excessive, don't you think? You don't have to give him everything you have. It doesn't have to be your best. Jesus is fine with whatever. (laughs) 
Hey, like some of these early disciples, many in the church today, have absolutely no problem with moderate and measured devotion to Christ. But Jesus doesn't want our moderate and our measured. That's why he rebukes the disciples for their practical assessment of value in verse 10 of our text. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Now there is no doubt throughout his ministry, Jesus has shown a special place in his heart for the poor, for the lowly, and the oppressed. He says, give to the beggar, refuse no one in need, sell your possessions and give to the poor. I mean, for three years now, these men have watched Jesus care for the underprivileged. So as his students, his disciples, his followers, it stands to reason that they would be sensitive to that need as well. And there's nothing wrong with such benevolence until it's prioritized over your worship. Disciples were so focused on meeting the needs of their community. They lost sight of Jesus and his magnificence along the way. And we do the exact same thing. In the name of pursuing social justices. Perhaps you've noticed this, particularly as it relates to the mindset of our millennials. More and more... Folks are expressing the need to support some kind of cause. And that's all well and good. But it's not our primary purpose. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. Already we've seen the Jewish people performing their rituals, making their sacrifice, attending to the temple, all while ignoring the Christ who came. And sadly, the same is true of many of us. Look, it's true. Racial issues need our attention. Sex trafficking must come to an end. Immigration needs reform. The homeless need fed. The environment could use some saving. But you and I can get so focused on these things that we miss out on the thing. Our worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot afford to repeat the mistake of the disciples here. In their minds, this woman was way too focused on the exaltation of Jesus. Yeah, but as a follower of Christ, is that not where we are called to be? I mean, isn't that the entire point? Or as Matthew Henry asks, did Christ pour out his soul unto death for you 
And still you think there is something too precious to pour out for him. Stop being practical. Stop being moderate. Stop being uninspired and unenthused in your worship. That's not what God desires. He wants extravagant. He wants imprudent. He wants way, way over the top. Like a fully broken alabaster. Or better yet, a fully poured out heart. Are you there? From the perspective of the religious leaders, Jesus was worth killing at almost any cost. From the perspective of a woman in Bethany, Jesus was worth the very best that she had. From the perspective of the disciples, Jesus was worth a more practical price. And from the perspective of Judas Iscariot, well, Jesus was worth following only until there was a better offer. Take a look now at verse 14. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out thirty pieces of silver to him. And from then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Now, there is no doubt Judas had been eagerly awaiting the day that Jesus would overthrow the Roman government and place himself on the throne as an earthly king. And so Judas hung around. And sure enough, he valued Jesus at a time when he thought he could get something from him. After all, if you are one of the king's best friends, things are looking pretty good for you. But if Jesus were going to be crucified in a mere 48 hours, as he just informed them, well then, none of that is going to become a reality. No, Judas had just come to grips with the fact that Jesus would ascend to a heavenly throne and not an earthly one. And for him, well, right then and there, the value of Jesus changed. But this man, this disciple of Jesus, who as a disciple pledged his life to follow Christ, just sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Estimated in our day to be worth about $5,000, which in their day was the average price of a common slave. Oh, he was following. And following and following, but then a better offer came along. 
And just like that, he sold Christ out. And so too have a majority of modern day churchgoers. I want to follow you with all that I have, but yeah, I've got a lot going on. I want to pledge my allegiance to you, but it's not a real good time right now. I want to give you everything, but I've got my kids' activities to consider and a mortgage to pay and roll all my atheist friends at work then think of me. You have to understand, church, this man looked like, acted like, seemed like a loyal and lovingly devoted disciple of Jesus. He attended all the services, listened to all the teachings, had some kind of relationship with the Lord. But he didn't value that relationship. Nor did he prioritize Jesus the way he should. And that mistake cost him dearly. Oh, it might seem like Judas gained equity in this trade of coinage. As though Judas added 30 pieces of silver to his bottom line. But Judas relinquished the payment just one day later. He went and hung himself in a field. And he lost all of eternity in the process. Man, I promise you, friends, whatever you think is of greater value, it is not a good exchange. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? If, while doing so, he forfeits his soul. Are you there? There is no doubt that everyone's got their own method of accounting, their own value assessment, their own take on the worth of Jesus. From the perspective of the religious leaders, Jesus is worth killing at almost any cost. From the perspective of a woman in Bethany, Jesus was worth the very best that she had. From the perspective of the disciples at this point, Jesus was worth a more practical price. From the perspective of Judas Iscariot, Jesus was worth following only until there was a better offer. And look, there are, there's a lot to be learned as we consider each one of those views. But the most important question still remains. It's not what the scribes and the elders think of him. Or the crowds or even those following in the middle part of the first century. The most important question, what is Jesus worth to you. And that is one I cannot answer for you here this morning. I know what Scripture commands in this regard. I know what the Lord requires. 
that those who believe would hide him precious above all else. That those who follow him would ascribe to Jesus a greater worth than their very own life. That in the words of Paul, whatever things were gained to me, those things I would count as loss for the sake of Christ. And more than that, that I would count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and would count them but rubbish, so that I might gain Christ and may be found in him. I know that's how we're supposed to do our accounting. But still, I cannot answer the question from your perspective. What is Jesus worth to you? As Charles Spurgeon once said, it is in your power even now to break the alabaster jar and pour it out upon Jesus. Will you hesitate, friends? Will you pull back? Will you withhold? Or recognizing the incomparable worth of Jesus, will you offer him the fragrant praise of your entire life? Oh, I hope that you will, to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the honor and privilege it is to come and to consider your word together. And Lord, there is a great challenge in it because of all the voices we heard this morning, of all the perspectives there were, there's but one who ascribed to your son Jesus the proper value. Lord, help us to follow that example. That rather than do our accounting by material wealth, by worldly goods by practical assessment that we would lose ourselves in you. That we would believe and live out the words that we sing. Jesus, I believe that you are my portion. Jesus, I believe that you are more than enough for me. Lord, help that to be the heartbeat of each and every one of us. Not just in word, but in deed. That we might pour out all that we have to you. Just as Christ gave his whole life for us. It only makes sense, Lord, help us. By the power of your Holy Spirit to do that more and more, that you might receive all the honor and glory that you are due.
Thank you for this time. Continue to be exalted in our midst, we pray. Amen and amen. We trust you were challenged by the word of the Lord and invite you to join us again if you'd like to learn more about our ministry in Montrose or want to connect with Pastor Matt. Come worship with us at 930 every Sunday along Lake Avenue 